How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. Once again, I must ask you to remember that the Marleys were dead and decaying in their graves. Yuck! That one thing you must remember, or nothing that follows will seem wondrous. Um, why are you whispering? It's for dramatic emphasis. Oh. Shh. Okay, well, the recorder is on. I'm sad now. Good! The way it should be on Christmas. Welcome to Box Office Pulp. I don't know how much of that intro we can use, but I really want None. Mike saying that he's was not sad. A good, that would not be a good cold intro at all. I want the intro to be Mike saying he feels sad and then me just saying good and steamrolling over him. That's my Christmas <laughs> gift to me. Yeah. And that's Welcome. accurate to the season. <laughs> all seasons, really. People who are happy are chumps. Anyways. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight. Muppets. Yeah, baby. Tonight, we've got a bop in a movie featuring everyone's favorite felt performers, the Muppets. I was holding for someone to do like the... Yay! But That's your thing. Okay. Out of control. Okay. There you go. All right. <laughs> I, I should have just sang like the Muppets theme song. like To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. And then we just roll with that and be like, Mike, if you were a Muppet, what Muppet would you be? Oh. Mike, oh. introduce yourself to the audience as a Muppet so they can get to know you. Well, the problem is I'd be Sam the Eagle, so... Okay, solid. It's nothing. You know, because you believe nothing. in America so much? Because I'm just really unpleasant. Well, that could, that could be a lot of Muppets, to be honest. That's kind of their charm. True, true, true. I mean, do I, do I want to be Gonzo and R- or Rizzo? Yeah, but let's face it, I'm the one nobody wants to hang out with. Pepe? Ooh, no, not charismatic. <laughs> The excitement and the... No. All right. Well, we'll let Mike marinate on that one. Jamie, do you have a Muppet... Uh, counterpart? I don't know. Counterpart? Sure. A, a, like a, a Muppet doppelganger? A felt sauna, if you will. A f- yes. That, that's the term I was looking for. Thank you. Like all Muppets, I'm easily deflated whenever you take your hand out of me. <laughs> it's a little more sexual than I wanted for the opening <laughs> of this, but okay. It's a... It's a... Well, it's not a children's franchise. It's that's also true. Oh. But that's Look, the magic children of the have the Muppet alive. babies. Let them have their thing. We'll have the adult Muppets. Well, anyways, maybe we'll circle back to this in the end. And you'll have real answers. 
regardless, folks, we're doing the Muppet Christmas Carol. I mean, it's it should be obvious. Been talking about Muppets. It's Christmas. Two and two together. It's in the title. It's in the title. Yeah, that's true. You probably clicked on this link already knowing what the episode is. I don't know why I'm trying to keep this a surprise. Very excited for this. This is, I believe, our first time actually covering anything from the Muppets on Box Office Pulp. Surprisingly. Oh, geez. I, I don't know what we're waiting for. Anyways, uh, I should get into this. The drink for tonight's commentary. Uh, if, if you want to drink along with us as we're watching the movie, pause this video. Uh, you're going to have to come back in about three days. So maybe... No, it won't we'll be Christmas anymore. Yeah, I mean, you can you can do it for Christmas 2022. Uh, so so let's start off here. You're going to, you're going to first, you're going to have to make some pumpkin pie simple syrup. Uh, that's going to require eight ounces of pumpkin puree in a can, uh, a cup and a half of water. Any water's fine. Uh, 1.5 cups of granulated sugar and a, about a half teaspoon of pumpkin pie spice. You can go a little heavier on that if you want, but you know, you don't need a full teaspoon. Anyways, take the puree, the water, the sugar, and the pumpkin spice. Toss them all in a small saucepan. You're going to bring that to a boil over medium-high heat and keep stirring the whole time that it's heating up. Uh, once the syrup has boiled and it's become smooth, you're going to want to remove it from the heat and put a cover on it. Let it sit for about 15 minutes. Strain that and let the entire thing cool. You're going to end up with a simple syrup that tastes like uh, Thanksgiving. It's amazing. You can use it in all sorts of stuff. It seems weird, and you're not going to know what to mix it with initially, but you'll find stuff. I find it actually goes pretty well with like mezcals, tequilas, that kind of stuff. Anyways, you're going to start by making that pumpkin pie syrup. Put that in the fridge, let's sit. Uh, that should keep for a couple weeks, I'd imagine. Now, for the rest of the stuff, the actual drink of the night is uh, an apple pumpkin clarified milk punch. So you're going to need about five ounces of dark rum, three ounces of silver rum, uh, two ounces of coffee liqueur, three ounces of lemon juice, three ounces of apple spiced rum, two ounces of the pumpkin pie syrup that we made previously, and five ounces of whole milk. Now, this is not an area to add substitutes. You want whole milk. You don't want 2%. Gotta be whole milk. It really makes the whole thing work. So anyways. To make the punch, you're going to mix the three ounces of dark rum, the two ounces of the spice, I'm sorry, the three ounces of the apple spice rum, uh, the silver rum, the coffee liqueur, the lemon juice, and the pumpkin pie syrup. Let's take all those ingredients, mix them together. You're going to take that mixture and pour it into the milk. Not the other way around. You're not pouring the milk into the alcohol. You're pouring the alcohol into the milk. You're going to want to mix that thoroughly until it starts to curdle. Then you're going to want to let it sit at least an hour. I normally put mine in the fridge and just let it sit overnight to fully separate. The next day, then, you can start straining the mixture through coffee filters, and you're going to want to remove all the curds. It'll probably take two or three passes through coffee filters and straining to get this to be fully strained the way you want it to. But when you're done, you're going to have a mixture that is pretty much clear. It's going to be yellowish, but clear. You can see through it just fine. You're not going to have any of those curds left over. And you're going to end up with something that's really interesting because it's been clarified. It's got a much more mellow flavor. It's not going to be a hard rum flavor by itself. There's going to be a hint of apple to it. It looks impressive as hell. And you're, you know, it's a lot of work, but you're going to be like, okay, it was two days, but it's worth it. Mostly I picked this recipe. One, because uh, I had already made this and I'm like, okay, I got to tell the world about this because I put a lot of effort into this. Two, we're covering the Muppets. Every Muppet venture takes a shit ton of technical skill to pull off. Like, there's a lot of puppetry and wizardry going on. They're all technical feats. So I feel like I couldn't do a simple cocktail. It had to be something 
little uh, time intensive. So anyways, I'm about to take a sip of this guy because I have been talking for too long. Mmm, baby. Delicious. That one is actually good. That's like one of the drinks I made in the show <laughs> that would not kill you. Highly recommend it. Well, we should have like a giant dry erase board for every time Cody ends this segment with, oh, that was actually good. Most of the time I'm not aiming for good. I'm aiming for fun. Stupid. Silly. Uh, I want to die. You know, somewhere along those lines. Is this one, philosophy for the I show drink, in a nutshell? That's why it fits. That is actually a really good drink. It's very mellow in flavor, but you still get like a strong apple to it. Um, part of the cool thing, too, about having a clarified milk punch is uh, it, it lasts much longer. Like you could put it into a mason jar and store it like cellar temperature for several months and it won't go bad. So you can make big batches of this stuff and just have it ready to serve at like parties or just drinking casually. You don't have to worry about chugging a bunch of it because it can go bad in a week. I love that. That's that's a party tip from uh, Cody to you, folks at home. I don't know if it's because I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley lately, but during that entire segment, I just kept having these whimsical visions of like a farmer version of Cody, like in a little uh, like set of overalls and a straw hat, like growing pumpkins, like somehow behind his apartment and then making pumpkin mix and then somehow uh, grinding all of that up into drink mix and then serving it to us. Uh, essentially, if you hung out with me, it'd be like an episode of Big City Greens. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, just just prepare yourself for that. Anyways, enough talking about drinking. Hopefully you have now paused the show, spent your two days making this concoction. Oh, and I should mention, uh, when you're doing the filtering, do not expect this to go fast. You're going to put that coffee filter on, you're going to pour your mix into it, and it's going to come down one drip at a time. It's going to take you many hours to do one filtering pass. It's it's like a full day affair, really, to filter this two or three times. Just a heads up. But you're going to want to do that, or otherwise you're going to have like brown snot stuff floating around in your drink. You don't want that. You want pretty clarified milk punch. The fresh maker. All right. Now I'm done talking about drinking. Let's cue up the movie, folks. If you want to watch along with us, Mike is getting ready to hit the play button right now on The Muppet Christmas Carol. This is on Disney+. Plus. That's the version we're watching. Uh, obviously, you can also find this on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's like on a giant clamshell somewhere in your grandmother's basement. Feel it's free to plug be. in. <laughs> She's holding on to it just for you in case you ever visit. Mike, do you want to count us down? All right. Get ready for whimsy. One. Two. Three. Let there be Muppets. Ah. The greatest yeah, really... production logo of all time. It's the best sound. As a kid, like, you knew you were in for a good time when you heard this. Wow, mm, baby. The Jim Henson laser logo? Not so much. Like, I don't understand why there's a laser, and then it turns into, like, a little singing bug thing that flies and makes the eye on Jim. I don't it quite get the Henson logo. <laughs> It has the same memory, the same energy as the Marvel Entertainment logo with the liquid metal Spider-Man at the end of G.I. Joe. <laughs> also, it's me or they use pirate fonts for the opening title. <laughs> they were just getting ready for Muppet Treasure Island. Can we do Muppet Tre Treasure Island next? Oh, I yes. that. That was That was one of the first movies I remember seeing in theaters. My, uh, my mom, dad, and sister and I all went to it. Later on in life, I found out my mom hates the Muppets, so oh. she took one for the team to take us to Muppet Treasure Island, because I, I remember being very excited to see Kermit the Frog. So, God bless you, Mom. 
You, you done good work. I was no, like, I feel nothing for that sacrifice. She doesn't like Muppets. That's I. Uh, we. It was rough. It was. There was a couple of weeks where I'm like, I don't know if I can go home again. Quite frankly, Cody, I don't think your mother feels pain or any negative emotions. <laughs> so before we move past this, uh, one thing I want to mention in this movie. Boy, look at those amazing miniatures. Oh, ah. We have this whole, whole city made up that the camera's slowly panning through. We're going to have a cool swipe in a second where they transfer into the actual set, uh, which I think is pretty fluid. It's like a nice transition work. But this is a beautiful time. This is, this is the early 1990s where you hadn't quite moved into the area where you could just do a CGI backdrop for everything or make a CGI city. So they still had to go to the trouble of actually making all these tiny buildings with little lights inside of them. A bit of a lost art because well, why would you bother hand making all this stuff now when you could just do it in post? But, yeah, but look how real it feels. For what it's worth, yeah, I absolutely love slowly kind of backwards flying through this town. It's very cool. I love this. Anyways, let's let's get some movie facts in. This is directed by Brian Henson. This was Henson's first film and the first Muppet movie after the passing of Jim Henson. Uh, Brian also directed Muppet Treasure Island. He's Pretty well known, too, for some of his puppeteering roles. Oh, there's that pan I was talking about where they switch into the set. Isn't that smooth? Uh, anyways, uh, sorry, I got distracted. Brian Henson was a puppeteer on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films, live-action ones, The Witches, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, he also did Hoggle in Labyrinth and Jack Pumpkinhead in Return to Oz. That was him. Our screenplay is by Jerry Jewell. From St. Paul! Hey, Minnesota shout-out! Uh, he worked extensively on Muppet Productions. He was the head writer on The Muppet Show from 77 to 81. He did The Muppet Movie, The Great Muppet Caper, Muppet Treasure Island, and Muppets from Space. Uh, he also worked on Fraggle Rock and Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, man, look at all these Muppets. It's so hard to read through my movie facts. Just... <laughs> I just want to this laugh. This entire movie is like the troll market scene from Hellboy 2. It is, isn't it? There's so much happening. I can't imagine how tough this must have been to corral, like, all these puppeteers and extras at the same time. Because this has been a pretty intricate shot. The camera's been moving through the city, and you have to imagine, everywhere you see a Muppet, there's probably a hole in the floor of the set, so they can put their hands up and control the Muppet. So if the cameraman walks the wrong way, he's going to fall down a pothole and break his leg. Technically, it's got to be hard as hell to film a Muppet movie. Oh, the entire set would be a death trap. I think Michael Caine talked yeah. about that. He didn't watch yeah. where he was walking. He'd just fucking fall into a hole. <laughs> right. God, could you imagine dying next to Gonzo, the indignity? I don't know. I mean, that's that's, that dream. seems like a good way to go. Yeah, no, Jamie, you're outvoted. Somebody get this guy a doctor! <laughs> all right, our cast here, Sir Michael Caine is Ebenezer Scrooge. We all know Michael Caine. We all love Michael Caine. I can't wrap up like the thousand movies he's been in, but let's just hit some highlights. The Italian Job, Get Carter, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Dressed to Kill, Children of Men, Secondhand Lions, Austin Powers in Goldmember, The Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, Tenet, Alfred in the Nolan Batman films. Like, And, and that's discounting the shitty films he was in because we still have Jaws of Revenge to enjoy because of Sir Michael Caine. Hey, you mentioned Secondhand Lions. <laughs> hey, I like Secondhand Lions. Them's fighting words, Mike. <laughs> they really lived. 
I'm going to pretend you guys are fans of that movie and move on with my life. I love secondhand lions. I will make fun of the tacked on extra (laughs) ending as long as I live. Fine. Okay, well, we were just talking about Michael Caine, but let's talk about this intro. He walks in, there's a Dutch angle, the fans (laughs) blow, the orchestra kicks in. They also get this cool song the lighting a little a bit, which I, which I really yes. like. I mean, it's already like the set's already you know lit depressingly and all that. But when Scrooge enters, they go super blue. It's very cold. It just sucks the color out of the environment. So good. It's weird to think that this is arguably the most artistically ambitious Muppet movie, but <laughs> in many ways. It's the most artistically ambitious Christmas Carol adaption. It really is. Could you imagine, though, if if you were on a set and there's 10,000 Muppets all saying about what a dick you are? <laughs> like, Scrooge doesn't need... Scrooge doesn't need three ghosts to become a better person. He just needs to listen to literally any creature in this city. They're all in arrangement saying about what a dick he is. Oh my god, can somebody organize this to somehow happen to Ted Cruz? Like, he tries to go grocery shopping, and just the entire cast of the Muppets are there, and they start singing him about what a dick he is. He's the only one on Earth who deserves that treatment. He would just double down on the idea that we don't need, like, the Muppet shows or Sesame Street. Ugh. God, he would grow an even stranger beard. Movie facts. We're not talking about Ted Cruz. We're not. Movie's only an hour and a half. Come on. (laughs) We're not not soiling this great film. Uh, So we have Dave Goles as Gonzo, Waldorf, Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew. Uh, Goles has been the voice of Gonzo the Great since The Muppet Show. He still voices the character up through uh, Muppets Now, the new Disney show. We have Steve Whitmer as Kermit, Rizzo, Beaker, and Bean Bunny. Uh, Whitmer has been a puppeteer for the Henson Productions back to the original Muppet movie. He took over the role of Kermit after Jim Henson's passing. Uh, He lost the role a few years back after Muppets Most Wanted and was replaced by Matt Vogel. And there's some dirt back and forth on that one. Whitmer apparently clashed with Disney, but Brian Henson has also stated that Whitmer was uh, difficult to work with as far back as the 90s. Like he refused to train understudies to do the Kermit voice. Uh, and he would send emails attacking all aspects of productions that he didn't agree with, just just belittling folks. Uh, back to the idea of understudies, too. A surprisingly important part of being a Muppet actor is doing live performances. Like you go to ribbon cuttings, or you do introductions for the movie, uh, revival screenings, or you just, you know, you have performers at Disneyland, whatever else. So if you don't have an understudy, that means like you either have to do it or they have to say, oh, that character isn't available. And when you're Kermit the Frog, it's really important that you're available. So Whitmer burned a lot of bridges by not allowing there to be Kermit understudies. There is a weird poetry to being megalomaniacal as Kermit. And if you were to take his side, though, he has said he didn't approve of how Disney was handling the franchise. He's not the only person to say those kind of things. We all agree. Uh, Moving into our next person, Frank Oz, who voices Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Sam Eagle, and Animal in this film. Uh, There's been some interviews where he said that he was not asked back by Disney to pick up voice work for any of these characters after he kind of left the series. He's he's made comments about not 
liking the direction the show has gone over the last few years since Disney took over. So it, it could be Disney is cutting ties with anyone who might be critical of the franchise, which wouldn't surprise me. Anyways, to focus on Oz for a second and more positive pieces, he goes all the way back to the original Muppet show. He was on Sesame Street as a voice actor and puppeteer. He stopped working on the Muppets after Muppets from Space in 1999. Uh, he claims he actually left because he wanted to spend more time with his family because the commitment is very large to be a Muppet actor. Uh, everyone should know Frank Oz. I mean, he's the voice of Yoda. He, he was, you know, Dark Crystal, Low Shop of Horrors. What about Bob? You know, he's directed a lot of things. Younger audiences probably recognize him from a small role in Knives Out where he is the, uh, not divorce attorney, uh, he, he's the guy who is presenting the will. Sorry, I just saw a bunch of Muppets take a pratfall. Uh, our music here is by Miles Goodman. Goodman worked on a number of comedies from the sem uh, 70s until his passing in 96, like Teen Wolf, Little Shop of Horrors, What About Bob, Blank Man, and Dun uh, Dunstan oh. Checks In. We have songs by Paul Williams. Everyone knows Paul Williams from Phantom of the Paradise, uh, the Muppet movie Ishtar, and The Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement. <laughs> Our and that episode is, of Dexter's Lab. Don't forget about that. There's, of course, a classic. Our editing here is by Michael Dublow. This was released on December 11th, 1992. The budget was $12 million and was a, I would say, modest success. It was a worldwide box office clearance of $27 million. Not, not huge, but it was enough for them to get another Muppet movie in a couple of years. This came this out about, a, I think, a week or two weeks after Home Alone 2, so... Right, and that movie was a juggernaut. Uh, anyways, this was the fourth Muppet theatrical release. The first Muppet film produced, not made, but produced by Walt Disney Pictures, who would eventually take over the franchise entirely. Uh, and it would be followed in 96 by Muppet Treasure Island, another wonderful film. Box Office Pulp has Cabin Fever. <laughs> Box Office Pulp recommends all Muppets all the time. <laughs> An interesting thing about um, Disney releasing it is Disney actually saved it from being a TV movie for CBS. Because that's what it was originally being produced for. Uh, until Could you Disney imagine if this in. was a CBS TV movie? It would have been the best TV movie ever made. It would have. But <laughs> then again, it was also... Um, yeah, the original script for Muppet Christmas Carol was very, very, very different. Um, probably to kind of fit into what was meant to be the TV movie thing, because I think they had done a, a Christmas special the year before. Um, yeah. So di when Disney snatched up the rights, the uh, well, not the rights, the Muppets, when they because they didn't do that till the two thousands, but when they kind of swooped in and uh, looked at it, at this point it ideas for it had evolved and they said like ah this is a theatrical release which gave it a lot more resources to do things like hire Michael Caine <laughs> let's let's talk about the fact that Sir Michael Caine is in this movie and the the joke on like Tumblr and all that is okay Michael Caine Sir Michael Caine <laughs> You're just playing Ebenezer Scrooge. There's been a million other Muppet or uh, Christmas carols. They're Muppets. You don't have to go that hard. And he just looks at the camera and says, I will play this as serious as a heart attack. 
Because if you watch this, like, there are moments where he's screaming at Muppets, he's throwing stuff around, he's having a fit. He gets to the end and he looks like a man who's been saved. Like, Michael Caine is not phoning this in. Michael Caine clearly cares about this role. It's it's what uh, makes a Chris, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol a Muppet Christmas Carol. It's him it's, going, I'll accept the role if I'm allowed to play it like at Shakespeare Theater. Right. He's not acting next to Muppets. He's acting next to actors is the way he presents it. Yeah. To be fair, though, I, I've heard a lot of people mention when you're on set with the Muppets, it's very easy to forget that they're actual Muppets. Like they, they're the puppeteers do such a good job keeping them animated and moving. They can just kind of assume you're talking to an actor. Actors fall in very gracefully with the Muppets. I do wish we'd see more actors and you know, not approach it from a necessarily a dramatic point of view whenever it's not necessary. But a lot of actors kind of just, they don't shrug, but they go like, well, the Muppets are really silly and acting silly around me, so I got to match their energy. You need and a little bit of straight man energy, I think, for the Muppets. Yeah, it's it's nice to see, uh, like, just, no, I'm just going to be legitimate. And it ratches up um, you know, like it's a weird way to phrase this, but Kermit's performance. <laughs> Michael Caine just <laughs> like, I think the homeless should die. Really <laughs> chilling stuff for <laughs> children's movie. <laughs> and we're also about to get the scene where he just assaults Bean Bunny. Uh, a personal uh, favorite I from all the people in the Henson production because they hate this character. <laughs> <laughs> apparently bean bunny was created as a bit of a riff on the fact that D uh, uh, jim henson did not want there to be very sweet saccharine kind of sappy characters so they made bean bunny is kind of a parody of that just he looks like a fucking stuffed animal oh yeah does. so so <laughs> well michael Caine just fucking beans him with the <laughs> with the wreath that was everyone's favorite joke they they always wanted there to be more violence against bean bunny <laughs> That's uh, one of the brilliant things about this movie is you get an Ebenezer Scrooge that can be 10 feet tall in comparison to all the other characters <laughs> and can physically knock them around and abuse them in a way that's, uh, especially to a younger audience, is genuinely startling at times. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, as you're watching this film as a kid... You are more on, like, the eyeline of Kermit. Every adult you, you interact with is Scrooge height and probably feels a little bit like they're not allowing you to have what you want because they control your entire life. So you're more empathetic probably with a Kermit than you are with Michael Caine at the start of the movie. It and just the fact that he is giant over everyone else makes him feel like he's all the more powerful and he needs to be more graceful. Yeah, exactly. It kind of inadvertently creates symbolism, like added symbolism to the symbolism they're already doing with Scrooge. Like, he, like his workers are literally rats. Like, the, it's the embodiment of what he actually sees as everybody around him. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the Maltese Falcon with Gutman. Like, just put the camera real low to make him look real big. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that's part of the reason why... Like, there's been so many goddamn Christmas Carol adaptions. And there's a lot oh, of good man. Um, there are far more good than bad Christmas Carol adaptions going yeah. all the way back. But I don't think it's an ironic thing to say that, oh, the Muppet version's the best. Because not only do, does 
this version get a little bit more artistic and a little bit more uh, thoughtful with the with the concepts and the ideas like the ghosts actually having a little bit more to them other than like they're ghostly people you know the the ghost of christmas present you know growing older as as things go along and but more than that i i think those adapting this actually really paid attention to the text of dickens more so than than anybody else who came before who tends to you know focus on not necessarily a sanitized version but more christmas focused like the funny thing is a christmas carol to dickens just to get like a little bit uh brief history here of like why dickens <laughs> mike, 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 mike. we have an hour <laughs> brief okay brief okay um is is dickens wasn't really writing this like super pro christmas story <laughs> he was using christmas as um an idea as, as a symbol because at the time that dickens actually wrote a christmas carol is christmas was not traditionally celebrated the way that it's actually trumpeted in the story um especially for how like hardcore religious it it was treated. It was a lot of you know, like prayer and, and things like that. He wanted it to be, and Christmas Carol actually helped after its publication to change how Christmas is, is celebrated over time. Uh, he wanted it to be about charity, about spending time with one another, because Dickens really uh, was very hardcore about not working people to the bone. You know, let people be human, be healthy. Um, you know, he criticized um, religion a lot, even though he was very religious, but he, criti he criticized a lot because they were very, if you have free time, you better be like laying on hands and shit like that. And that's not how he felt like life should be lived. That people should be able to enjoy their leisure time. It should not always be about work, work, work. And... Christmas Carol really was a pro-human story. It utilizes Christmas because that is something he was trying to push uh, a different way to celebrate Christmas being about togetherness and family and friends and, you know, do and, you know, like, hey, have a have like a feast, you know, get together, play games. So that's what he was more about. Like there was like a lot of political as most of what Dickens was into because people forget he was a journalist who like did political stories, yeah. <laughs> uh, not just like a fiction writer. Uh, this captures that political nature of it way more than any other version who just is like, well, Scrooge is a greedy asshole. And then he finds <laughs> out Christmas is really magical. This is like Scrooge has ruined his life by doing nothing but work. He's rejected love. He doesn't feel like anyone should have a life outside of getting work done. He's a fucking capitalist. You know, he's all these <laughs> things and finding the spirit of Christmas. Isn't just finding the spirit of what a holiday is or Jesus or something like that. It's all the symbolism of Christmas and what this one day away from all of that could mean to you. If you, if you accept it. 
Yeah, going back to the uh, the accidental symbolism of uh, this, uh, every almost every other character but Scrooge uh, being a Muppet. I, I love being able to phrase any kind of film theory point with being that everyone else is a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another thing that Dickens was very clearly uh, raging against in that story was social Darwinism, an idea that was really uh, taking hold of the uh, the elite at the time, this intellectual justification for capitalism that, well, oh, well, well, those people are inferior and science says so. So very, it, it's very clear that the rich and the poor are just two different types of human being. So it, it's, the story has become so quaint and so in, in mesh in Christmas traditions now, it's funny to think that I was essentially like, like a political statement in its times. I kind of feel like, uh, like you were saying, like, this gets far more to that spirit than any other adaptation. It's not the idea of making uh, the world around Scrooge othered in such a literal way. Now I feel dumb because, like, the research I do is basically like, did you know back in the old days it was considered just a fun family tradition to stay up late on Christmas Eve and tell ghost stories? <laughs> we do need to bring, bring that back. back. Not, I have not seen a, a single lot of thing about the proletariat in my research. I, I've seen a lot of people bring it up this year that I think Christmas ghost stories was the tradition. Why don't we do that anymore? Apparently that was kind of on the way out already by the time Dickens wrote A Christmas Car Carol. Uh, what was that? 1840 or something like that? That if I'm remembering my dates right, 184. Uh, I've got the internet. I should just look this up. Like 1848. I don't know. It's but weird. Until December. that point, it had been common for families to. That was the tradition. Instead of staying up late to watch a Christmas Carol on TV, you would stay up late and you would tell some ghost stories. Make this holiday a little spooky, which is part of the influence that he had, uh, Dickens had, when he made his story. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into the ghost section right now. This is my favorite portion of the film. The ghostly door knockers, the Marley and Marley bits. I, I appreciate how they're able to push this into being spooky for kids. Uh, there were a lot of internal discussions when they were making this movie, how scary they could get. And they felt like they pretty much hit the limit. They didn't want to push it anymore, but they felt they got to be spooky enough, scary enough to satisfy themselves. Which is, I, I think, only right. It's fun i think for kids to have scary moments in their films you got to know how far to take it so it's age appropriate yeah. but children like that little bit of danger in there they don't dumb it down they just kind of they don't make it um i don't know where i guess it's inaccessible to children they don't right. they don't dumb it down <laughs> Well, it's not bad enough either where you get a PG-13 or anything like that. It's still the Muppets. It would be wrong if all of a sudden, you know, there are, there are ghosts with their brains leaking out of their skulls or something terrifying. Saying that the ghost of Christmas past is fucking terrifying. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, most versions of the ghost of Christmas past are terrifying whenever they hem close to the book. I'm curious, have either of you seen the 1999 TV movie Christmas Carol starring uh, Patrick Stewart? When I was a kid. Oh, uh, yeah. I, 
Yeah. I don't remember much about it, but I have seen it. Uh, next to this and uh, and probably Scrooge, this, that would have to be my favorite adaptation. They lean super hard into the horror aspect of each ghost. Like, the ghost of Christmas present is terrifying in that movie. <laughs> which is, uh, which does him a lot closer to the books than most of the adaptations. Like, uh, in preparation for this, I finally sat down and read the story, and Despite a good chunk of the story being very comedic, all three of the ghosts are played very scary and very eerie and otherworldly. Well, the opening lines of the story, too, you know, was dead as a doornail. Like, <laughs> for a heartwarming Christmas classic, that's a fucking cold way to open a story. Uh, great, great way to hook someone in, though. Why don't more Christmas Carol adaptions just have, like, Dickens narrating? Yeah. Well, it's kind of amazing. They they said, that, you know, when they were making this film, they had a copy of the story basically sitting around so they could reference it all the time and just crib lines from it. Because why would you not, if you're basing something on Charles Dickens, one of the most renowned writers of the times, why wouldn't you just take his lines? They're going to be better than what you can come up with. Oh, uh, did the video pause for anybody? Just keep talking. Yeah. Just keep so, talking. Uh, boy, eh, you see it all the way through. You would think in the start of this project, we're just working with the Muppets. How do we marry these two? And I love the conclusion they made of, okay, well, we'll have Muppets, but we'll just have them say the lines. We'll keep the narration. We'll keep the Dickens part of it, and we'll just kind of sneak the Muppets in. More than anything, they could have approached this as, this is a Muppet show that just happens to feature Muppets. Uh, I'm sorry, Dickens characters. Or you could do a full-blown Dickens story with Muppets. I mean... This is a Christmas Carol. It really is. And then there's Muppet hijinks in between stuff. But you're still getting the bulk of the story. The thematics are not changed. It's not sacrificing Dickens in order to make it a comedy. It's a comedy crossover in the spirit of like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. I, I mean, imagine that's why, God, this movie probably would have not worked at all if A, Michael Caine wasn't there putting in this performance. Or B, they went with the original idea of having actual Muppet characters be the ghosts. Yeah, there's some spots, too, where they're like, okay, well, do we make Kermit Ebenezer Scrooge? And I'm glad they decided, no, that wouldn't really work out. Yeah, People that would not have worked at all. That way. There's so, more of gravy than of grave to you. <laughs> so there, there were a lot of stumbling points where they could have had this project go off in really bad directions. And luckily for us, they, they really settled on making the most appropriate version they could have, the one that's going to last the most. Saying <laughs> that and Waldorf going to hell forever for being assholes. Oh, it's also, so good. It's very fitting. Like it just it casts itself. Also, I love the Muppet cha- like cash boxes are tied to. <laughs> also, God, the alternate universe where the ghost of Christmas yet to come is Gonzo. <laughs> yeah, he launched himself out of cannon or something. I don't know. Just okay, the, before they're the before they're gone, nose hanging out. And, and then when they were like, well, no, Gonzo should be Dickens. Who should be the ghost of Christmas uh, yet to come? Oh, Animal. <laughs> uh, the guy what? who doesn't really talk? Okay. What? So I know we've already passed it, but going back to the idea of actually using Dickens, 
the, there's more gravy than of grave to you. Just just that that whole little bit. I'm glad they worked that in. It's great Michael Caine gets to deliver those lines because those are all timer lines. Like just oh, that's one of the greatest the literature it's, it's so good. of all times. Right. It's how could you not use that? I'm very happy that they managed to squeeze all that in amongst <laughs> Walder and Stadler. Like, we're Marley and Marley. <laughs> My favorite part is too when they leave the scene and they just start singing the song again. They disappear, but the chains are still singing and dancing with them. I was a, I was a, kind of a Christmas Carol nerd as a kid, and there were always the certain lines I would search for in every adaptation just to see what each version uh, would do with it. Uh, there's uh, there's more of gravy than of gray for you. And my personal favorite was seeing how each individual actress would deliver I Release You, Ebenezer. Because how dramatically that line is played tells you everything on the tone of that adaptation. Sorry, we're missing my favorite joke of the entire movie. It's such a simple yet brilliant joke. <laughs> Rizzo Most jumping Rizzo off the rail, the being world. scared, crashing face first, and then going back through the bars. Like, this has got to be... It's not a new joke. They had to have done this a million times in, like, the Looney Tunes cartoons, but just, it always works. It's one of those things that's always going to make me laugh when a character does this. Also, do you want Scrooge's bed? Uh, just the drapes all around it? It looks so cozy. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about the the set for Scrooge's house. I love how the characters express through what is really a minimalist kind of house. You look into everything in Scrooge's room. There's no personal belongings. It's it's very scarce. It's Scrooge himself personified, right? But it's it's minimalistic in everything. There are, there are some parts of the set that look like it's just a curtain. Because you don't need anything else. It actually tells more of the story to cheap out and make it very thin. Yeah, there's a lot of character in the different sets throughout the throughout the film right and this is like the one area where it's cheap so you can tell it's not because they were low on money it's because they're trying to make it like scrooge you know penny pincher you look at any other set like bob cratchit's house or just the city sets and the amount of detail and activity going on the conflict is very intentional between those two it's brilliant also this what do you need a shit ton of lights and a curtain and you have an amazing like reverse searchers moment suddenly we're in poltergeist (laughs) <laughs> I do I do love how for a moment it seems like Michael Caine, Victorian Michael Caine, is being abducted by aliens. <laughs> this fucking thing. So the, Put on the, your fucking the, cap. The rumor hey. I've always heard is this is a reused puppet from uh, the Jim Henson show. Or Storytellers, I'm sorry. It was mm. like Satan, oh. or, Satan or something. And it, it, it doesn't look similar, but I've, that. I've never heard anyone confirm it. Also, this is uh, the Peter Jackson method of making things look ethereal. Just dunk it in a big tank of like oil or water. Mm-hmm. So everything just kind of flows and then just, you know, make sure there's a green screen or whatever so you can compose it back into the picture. So disturbing. Uh, her little fingers. <laughs> a little tiny. <laughs> In any case, it gets a little too scary. Here's some whimsy with uh, Dickens and Rizzo. <laughs> How tough must it be to act? Like, if you're Michael Caine, you're doing the scene where they're like, okay, you have to pretend you're flying through the city being hauled by a Muppet, and there's several other Muppets that are latched onto you like Batman flying through Gotham. I feel like <laughs> if it was anybody else, 
there'd be some kind of like, uh, well, you know, you really got to, it's Kane. So he just went with it. This is just real to him. You must feel so silly. Like, I'm sure he's on a green screen for this entire thing. They probably just have some like fish wire hooked up to his legs to keep him up. And he's on a harness. And that's just there all day pretending like I'm floating. It's, it's gotta be so tough to act professionally under those circumstances. Those silly, silly circumstances. Kane made us believe that this time it was personal in Jaws (laughs) the Revenge. So I, you know, I, I, Constant also, professional. This whole forest uh, is a miniature forest. Those are all fake little trees. God, look at how beautiful that is. The, oh, my God. Just imagine how much work it must be. It's like Leica ever, efforts here to make thousands of those little trees and powder them with snow. Also, you know this isn't um, this isn't supposed to be Gonzo because that chicken would have technically betrayed him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fun fact, I just want to mention this. Ah, if, you have, uh, if you have the Blu-ray of A Muppet Christmas Carol, there are two commentary tracks for the film, one by Brian Henson. The other one has Gonzo himself talking through the movie as Gonzo. So, Mike, to your point, they do mention where he's talking about chickens and... and <laughs> he's just saying, you know, I don't know, they all look the same to me, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just hearing Gonzo be like, ah, chicken's a chicken is, is wonderful. It's it's a very meta level of the entire movie to watch Gonzo <laughs> talking about Gonzo. That's everything you want out of special features. <laughs> uh, just her floating there watching children is so unnerving. Yes. As long as I'm talking about the special features, too, I want to point out my other favorite piece they have like a 30-minute making of the Muppet show, you know, special feature. And on it, it's mostly puff piece kind of stuff, but they mention how excited Michael Caine is to sing in the movie. Even though he had no training, they were kind of nervous that Michael Caine couldn't sing. And so they have stuff from the recording studio where Michael Caine is singing his lines, and they'll be like, okay, that was great. We want to go back and record. Like, one one line didn't come through, and Michael Caine would sing the entire song over again. They'd be like, we, we don't... <laughs> Sir Michael Caine, we just need the one line. He's like, no, no, I'll do it again. And he was just so happy to be given the chance to sing in a movie (laughs) that he would just sing the entire song in one go. And then they would just stitch together in Frankenstein the take from the best pieces that he did because he was so darn excited. Even if you watch the special features too, like Michael Caine is in the background just like swinging his fist around. Like he's just so happy to be there in the recording booth. I know that a lot of this probably staged because it's behind the scenes stuff and they want to make it look fun, but Michael Caine is probably giving his best performance there for how happy he looks and all the this footage is of him his just favorite role. fucking around. He's made that very clear. I just love how there was a day in the nineties where Michael Caine was in front of a camera with some Muppets. And then if someone yelled cut, you could walk over to Michael Caine and ask him a question about get Carter. <laughs> while a Muppet was standing there and this is a thing that could have happened also I'm fascinated by the bus that uh, Gonzo and Rizzo are next to because there's humans in this world we've seen this, there's Michael Caine right next to us but they've done Muppet versions of the busts of real people it's, <laughs> so un- it's a completely unnecessary joke it's a man or Muppet situation where it's just terrifying to see what Shakespeare would have looked like as a Muppet man <laughs> 
Uh, it's it's a it's like the Greg the Bunny universe where uh, Muppets are just a separate species <laughs> that can be shaped like a man, but they're not quite considered the same thing. Man, I forget about that show. And every couple of years, someone reminds me it existed, and I'm always like, "Oh, what a what a time to grow up." Do you know that Greg the Bunny came back like 10 years later for a revival series on IFC where every what? episode was a parody of an independent film? What? It was very odd, yeah. What? This exists? I can go find this right now on the internet somewhere? Yep, there, there is a, uh, there's a Boogie Nights parody where you get to see Greg the Bunny do Dirk Diggler lines. There's an Easy Rider parody where the Wumpus is beaten to death by truckers on the side of the road. <laughs> what? I, I'm that having is... my mind blown right now. This is they okay, got it's probably Green back. This is the most important thing. They got Seth Green back for it, so it's legit. Wow. All right. The the important thing. This is blowing my mind, but. To, to segue back into the movie, we're seeing Sam Eagle, the most American of Muppets, having to play a non-American. <laughs> it's it's my favorite Sam Eagle moment in his entire history. Man of business. <laughs> <laughs> business. Sam Eagle has to be one of my favorite Muppets. Like, he's used pretty great. sparingly, but that's why he's so good. You know, get in, make five great lines, and then just leave. Perfect. He's such uh, a Rolf, deadpan dick. It's great. Oh, oh. Rolf the dog is my my other favorite. I, Rolf's probably my favorite. Yeah, you're, you're very Rolf. I mean, I, I love most of the Muppets. There's not too many I look at them like, that fucking Muppet. But, man, in my hierarchy... Rolf is right up there. I love Gonzo. Gonzo, for the main Muppets, he's number one. Fozzie Bear also. Surprisingly, Kermit isn't number one or two, but I love Kermit. Question, what's your opinion on Dr. Teeth? I I like Dr. Teeth. I like Electric Mayhem. I, I love everything they're doing with those guys. Are, are you Are you guys not fans of Dr. Teeth? Oh, I'm absolutely down with the mayhem, but Dr. Teeth himself <laughs> just gives me weird vibes. Like, I feel like hey, I wouldn't want to hang out with him after the show. Like, things get a little weird. I think that's why I, I like I, him. I, I, I'm on my side. I would definitely party with that dude. <laughs> okay, Dr. Teeth would be the guy who'd be like, hey, man, let's go around back. And then he would take you to the top of his trailer in the middle of the night, and you'd both sit there getting high on whatever he offered you. He wouldn't explain what it was. And then he would, like, make you listen to Pink Floyd on cassette. Listen, if I'm getting high with any Muppet, and I intend to, it's going to be the blonde chick from Electric Mayhem. <laughs> oh, yeah. The one who seems to be themed around, like, a visual representation of what being high feels like. <laughs> You've made a strong argument, Jamie. <laughs> I can't say you're wrong anyway. See, now I'm just remembering the um, behind-the-music sketch from Robot Chicken. <laughs> Her having caught HIV. Oh, oh, oh. One, I, I'm sure I've told the story a million times, but it's the Muppets, so I'm going to tell it because it's now actually appropriate. Oh, Animal, another classic Muppet I love. Uh, brilliant. Uh, 
One of my best experiences in life. I was in Los Angeles visiting, visiting a friend who lived in uh, like uh, Koreatown. And we didn't know what to do one night. So we went down to one of his favorite bars and we day drank all day long playing pool and ping pong, whatever else they had set out there. And I was just looking at my phone like, okay, it's, it's, it's Hollywood. There's got to be cool stuff happening. It's this. Actually, it wasn't the summer. It was like October. Uh, there's got to be cool stuff happening. It felt like the summer because it was 90 degrees in October, which blew my mind. Um, and I found out, oh, in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, they show movies. And tonight's movie is the Muppet movie, the original Muppet movie. And so I told my buddy Sean, like, we have to go to this. And he's like, all right, cool. So we day drank all day long. His then girlfriend, now wife, was with us. So we dragged Daisy along to all these places with us. We picked up a uh, like a 36-pack of cor- uh, a PBR. Because <laughs> it's bring your own booze. They don't sell alcohol at the cemetery. You just have to bring your own booze to the cemetery. I would certainly hope they wouldn't, Cody. <laughs> they had cotton candy there, Jamie. <laughs> That seems inappropriate. So you go into the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and it's it's the cemetery. I mean, if if you don't know about the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, that's where they bury like every famous person from like the fifties and before. Like, if you were a big name in Hollywood, you probably were buried somewhere in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, we afterwards saw Mel Blanc's grave. I got to hug Mel Blanc's grave because I was very drunk <laughs> while playing Pokemon Go. He was a poke. He was a Pokestop. Hey, his dream. Yeah, exactly the thing he was hoping for in the afterlife. So anyways, you go down and you walk your way through the graveyard and all the headstones and see all the famous people. And they just have a big clearing. It's seat yourself. So everyone brings blankets or just sits on the ground or brings in their own chairs. And you just sit wherever you feel like. There's no headstones or anything in that area. It's just a clearing. And they had a stage set up where they had Gonzo come up and introduce the movie. Like they had an actual puppeteer behind the podium. Like, hey, everyone. Uh... Did the whole introduction. I'm like, oh my god, I know that guy. I was I was <laughs> so starstruck by seeing Gonzo in real life. I like freaked out. So we sat there, we watched the Muppet movie. Uh between Sean and myself, because Daisy wasn't that interested in getting blackout drunk, we finished like the 36 pack of PBR, and we had bought a family-sized bag of biscuit and gravy flavored Lay's potato chips. Whoop whoop! And we ate that along. I wish they still made those chips because they were the best things to ever exist. No one believes me. No oh, one those were the shit. Gravy. Oh, they were so good. So we got fucking rip-roaring drunk in a graveyard watching the Muppets and eating biscuit and gravy potato chips. <laughs> and I, like, for the life of me, can't think of a time I was ever happier. Like, that that's just <laughs> the best. That is a beautiful story. It was so fun. It was just, like, absolutely amazing. Not to detract from your story, but I've been stuck on this thought since you mentioned them selling cotton candy. Wouldn't the appropriate (laughs) thing be to take the pink food dye out of the cotton candy and just dye it white? And say, be like, ooh, it's the souls escaping. (laughs) Nothing about Hollywood Forever Cemetery was was graveyard themed. If you didn't know any better and didn't look left or right as you were walking the path to the stage... You wouldn't really think anything about it being in a graveyard. Then it's what's such the point a, of it, Cody? <laughs> it's so weird. Well, like I said, after the movie was done, the sun is just starting to set, so everyone leaves, but it, it no one's kicking you out. It's not like there's ushers telling you you have to leave the graveyard. So you end up with just thousands of drunks just wandering around the Hollywood Forever Cemetery at night, like 
playing Pokemon Go and <laughs> just trying to find all the famous people in the graveyard. It's the weirdest thing. I absolutely loved it. I don't know how anyone thought this was going to work, and yet they do movies there constantly, so it must be okay. Like a before recording, you brought up uh, going to a a last drive-in live show and getting to see Joe Bob Briggs. And I'm far more impressed that you got to see Gonzo at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Jamie, seeing Joe Bob is always a delight. I've seen him live twice now and absolutely fantastic shows. If you ever have a chance to see Joe Bob Briggs live, do it. The man knows more about film than the rest of us will ever learn. Uh, he's very funny. He's gracious. He does a wonderful job talking and shaking hands with all of his fans. Makes him feel welcome. One hundred percent, I would take Gonzo every time if I had made my choice. <laughs> and I, I love Joe Bob. I love him a lot. But Gonzo, if I could get Gonzo's autograph, I the last two times I've seen Joe Bob, I think I've thrown him for a loop because he stands up to like take a picture with me, and I always so I'm like, oh no, thank you. I, I don't want to be in a photograph. And he always gives me the look like, why the fuck are you here? <laughs> and then I take my autograph, shake his hand, and I walk off. And he gets confused because normally like, he takes the picture and he chats with the person for another 10 minutes or whatever. He talks to the people for a long time. And I just have – I don't want to be in a photo. I just don't want to do it. And he always looks so thrown off by this. And I would get my like picture you. taken with Gonzo. If I was next to Gonzo, I'd be like, yes, we're taking this photo. I don't care if I have to see the puppeteer's hand coming out of the ground. <laughs> I want my picture with Gonzo. Joe Bob must think that you're casing him for some kind of theft. Well, I told him, like, hey, great show, I loved it. Could you autograph my shit? Like, uh, I hate asking for autographs. It feels like the weirdest thing in the world to do. I'm a grown person. I don't need your autograph. It should be enough to be like, hey, it was nice to meet you. And, like, you make that interaction, you shake their hand, and that's cool. That's plenty. Autographs to me seem weird. That's why I like buying stuff that's already been signed, where I don't have to force the person to sign it in front of me, because that seems fucking weird. Uh, the I, picture I seems too that. far. I mean, I agree, but he does want to chat. He, oh yeah, he's not pushing anyone away. I also have nothing to say to anyone famous. I stood in line on Thursday for probably like forty minutes. I would guess before I got up to Joe Bob, and the only thing I remember saying to Darcy was, "You know, you always think you're going to have something interesting or fun planned out by the time you get to the front of the line to say to the famous people, and I never do." And she laughed, and that was the end of the conversation, because what do you say to that? Like, oh, yeah. Good story. Also, she probably was like, so he's famous, but I'm not, huh? (laughs) I said famous people. Oh, no. I had her sign the poster, too. Darcy, I know we're way off the beaten path here, because we've already introduced a new ghost. But I I should say, we, we all owe a lot to Darcy. Without her enthusiasm, I don't think the last drive-in would happen, would be happening. We, like, we people give her a hard time because she doesn't get as much screen time as Joe Bob. It's like, no, Darcy, Darcy really makes that show run. <laughs> Without her enthusiasm and, like, just fan interactions, all that stuff, this never would have grown to the level it is. All of this is only because of Darcy. Yeah, Darcy right. is a goddamn pillar of the horror community. Anyways, back to ghosts. So the Ghost of Christmas Present... I really love they introduced him very big, like he's supposed to be. And they realized, like, oh, this is a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> so they they, like, they had to redesign him so he's just like Michael Caine size for the rest. So it was easier for the performance. And so he didn't have to get comped into every shot. Okay, so if Ghost of Christmas Present was an actual person, John Goodman, right? <laughs> <laughs> I 
John Goodman got muppetized by like Willy Wonka. Also, his beard is its own special effect. <laughs> oh God, kill me! Oh God, they they brought it to life and then it died. That was a that RoboCop two snowman. moment where that snowman blew his own head off. <laughs> and Michael Caine approved. Okay, we should talk about the fact that the blocking, the framing on this, so nice. And it makes sense because with Muppets, you have to plan everything extremely carefully because it's all tech-based, right? Like You have to know where the performer can physically put his body, where he can move the puppet. It's a musical, so everything has to be timed very well. But all these little shots, like you see Michael Caine looking into the little mouse house, how well he's framed in the foreground with the mice singing in the front. There's a lot of very particular care to make sure everything is framed perfectly through this film. On a tech level, I think this movie is immaculate. Oh, yeah. The behind the scenes of the... Oh, sorry, I want to interrupt. So we have the scene of the horses dancing because when they're editing this together, they realize they didn't have anything to connect the two singing bits. But the music <laughs> was still going. So one day they just like, okay, get some puppeteers here, get the horses, spin them around. They filmed for like however many seconds they needed and threw it to the editor because they literally had no covers. They had nothing they could stick in there. <laughs> and God, we have wild Muppets just laying around for us to throw together. Fresh um, out of the cloning that. The behind the scenes of them filming like these big song numbers in the town with, you know, like 30 to 40 Muppets going at once, everybody's singing. It's incredible to see that shit happening oh, live. Yeah. Well, and, and think you have all these actors acting too. This scene's a bit of a cheat, you'll notice, because it's forced perspective in the background. But because they're doing the camera rays for this big dramatic end to the song, you can really see how the perspective doesn't work. It's a short building. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Honestly, it's fine. I don't mind it. It's just very funny because it's forced perspective only works really from a very limited perspective. It's just how the magic works. Yeah. Nobody's paying attention to that part of the frame. But Unfortunately, that's the reason why we don't have as many of those practical effects as we used to. Like when they were doing the remake of The Thing, they realized, oh, the camera can only be placed in one specific spot where the effect doesn't work. And so the studio would be like, well, that doesn't give you a lot of options if we want to edit something differently later. Let's just do it digitally and then you can film wherever you want. And, you know, the director maybe doesn't like that idea, but the studio would just bring the hammer down and say, no, we want options. I don't know, Mr. Studio. It sounds like you just want to be able to fuck with the movie in the editing room. Yes. No, that's, that's not what we mean at all. We should say, too, in that forced perspective house, you'll notice earlier in the movie, when it's at night, uh, they use that same set a bunch of times. But in that forced perspective house, you can actually see a Muppet moving back and forth between the lights. So they had a little puppeteer in there, to, you know, to actually just add that effect to the forced perspective of that house. Such great attention to detail it makes everything feel so alive, even if it is a little tiny miniature version of a house. It's like they filmed the most meticulous amusement park ride ever. (laughs) Uh, So I love the design work on all of the hobo Muppets so much. Oh, yeah. Jamie, to go back to what you said about filming the greatest theme park ever. uh, This is Muppet related. I'm not going too far off the range here. Before we sat down to record this episode, I was rewatching Muppets Haunted Mansion. And that is absolutely my favorite thing to come out, I think, this October. Oh, that was a blast. Everyone, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus, it's like 50 minutes long. Gonzo goes to the Haunted Mansion and has to survive the night. And it's just filled with references to the actual amusement park ride. Dear God, 
why isn't this just the next Haunted Mansion movie? Just just make this 40 <laughs> minutes be. longer. It's it's beautiful. I love it. It's so funny. It has like a great little message in it about Gonzo, you know, not always having to be Gonzo the Great to be Gonzo the Great. I, I like that. It's very heartwarming. It's 100% endorsed. I think it's shot almost entirely on green screen during a lockdown. So yeah. it, the fact that it exists and is composited well is still a fucking miracle to me. Yeah. Has uh, anyone watched the new Muppet special, the new Christmas one? I have not. I actually no. totally forgot about it until recently. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting. I I saw some people mention online that it was pretty funny. They they like mentioned one of the running gags and kind of ruined it for me, but they seem to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just it smells so good, mother. <laughs> Eyes rolling back in his head as he's working that crank to turn the pig. Like fucking Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I can't explain why I think it's funny. It's funny, but it's very funny. Oh, this scene freaks me out. Motel Hell. Rizzo's just real there, and it freaks me out. <laughs> It's always horrifying when you see the Muppet's feet. So for those, I mean, it's, it's, you gotta respect this is like 92. So the special effects here are pretty much all just compositing. You know, you film them on a green screen with rods and then someone just dances them around on front of the screen and then they just composite them into the film. It's kind of funny to me because if you watch the Muppets closely, it's very easy to see all the rods and strings they're using to hold the Muppets in place or move them around because they couldn't really just pay to CGI them out at this point. Uh, what we're about to see here, wow, that timed out really well. Watch mm -hmm. the ground as Kermit <laughs> is walking, and you can see that he's actually on a barrel. They're just turning a barrel uh, with snow on it to give the appearance that he's transversing ground. He's filmed on a green screen or a blue screen, I guess in this case because he's green. Uh, and they just have puppeteers lifting and dropping his legs with rods and all that, and they just composite him back into the, the movie. This looks like we're in cabinet of Dr. Caligari all of a sudden. <laughs> it works so good. I mean, because if they didn't have him walking on snow, it just wouldn't work the same way. You see no, that I love that shot. Like, you can clearly tell it's an effect shot, but that's fine. If you're a kid, you're never going to pay attention or care. You just see Kermit moving. Yeah, you're and never going to stare on the floor. No, as an adult, I am delighted to see one of those where I can like piece together the magic <laughs> trick on my own. <laughs> the Muppets are I, don't know, I think that's really... F yeah, they are, but it's very fun... Filmmaking is, it's, you know, nowadays you could just do that shot through some form of CGI where you don't have to make an actual giant log for Kermit to walk on. But where's the fun? I think by making stuff look a little clunkier, it becomes. I don't, I don't have a good term for it, but it's more endearing to me when you can tell like the craftsmanship is present on screen. They're not trying to hide all of the flaws. Maybe not trying is the wrong term. They're definitely trying to hide some of this stuff, but you can't. <laughs> there, there are limits to what you can get away with, and they're really pushing the edge as far as all of this coming together. So is this the most pathetically sickly Tiny Tim that's <laughs> ever been? This Tiny Tim, I believe, will die. Like, he's practically deformed. <laughs> he struggles on the table, his little crutch... He got too excited and nearly fucking died. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, I don't think Scrooge's money's gonna help. <laughs> I kinda wonder about that, like, okay, it's it's like the eighteen fifties. I don't know oh, boy. 
Tiny Tim, who did not die, is always my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> like Gonzo's hiding that one from us. Okay, what what's everyone's rankings? Like, what's your maybe top three Christmas carols? For me, it's um, this one, Muppet Christmas Carol, and then Scrooge definitely is number two. And then I don't even know if I have a third. Like, everything else ties for third. Same. Dead on. I haven't yeah, I haven't rewatched enough of the uh, enough of the other ones to really rank a third one. I would say yeah, definitely this Scrooged, and then it would probably be a tie between Patrick Stewart, uh, Christmas Carol, and Mickey's Christmas Carol, which was a uh, that was a good one. That that was, yeah. that was that's, a, that's a deep childhood favorite. That was my first exposure to that story. And God, you watched that today. That is still an animation masterpiece. Oh, isn't that amazing? Going back to some of those old Mickey shorts, like, oh wow. Oh, oh, can I can I throw in as a third uh, Batman Noel? <laughs> Why not? I mean, <laughs> the Christmas Carol we've mentioned has been done so many times. I would venture to guess it's probably the most adapted story out there. Like, if you were to exclude the Bible and its individual chapters, Psalms, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well. What's really crazy is so much attention gets brought up a lot about like some of the wackier, more uh, more like updated versions of A Christmas Carol. But I think people lose sight of the fact that it's kind of astonishing how literal and book accurate ninety nine percent of adaptations are. I think next to like maybe the New Testament. It, the Christmas Carol has to be the most literally adapted work of fiction in history. Even Even this is pretty much line per line, just a Christmas Carol. Well, I think it works pretty well because, you know, you you essentially have four ghost visits, right? You've got Marley and then you have past, present, future, which makes it really easy to break into episodes that everyone can follow along with. Like the stretcher isn't necessarily three acts like we were attuned to believe in. But it still is so regimented, it makes it very easy to slot everything in, have audiences go, yes, I know where this is going, I like this. Plus, Dickens' dialogue is perfect. Like, there, there's no, there's nothing you have to update. It, <laughs> it's true. I, it, it's kind of amazing. I, I was something I, I was surprised by uh, whenever I read the book. I was hoping to have some, uh, some interesting, juicy deets to share on a the different uh, changes in adaptation. And no, you, if you've seen any version of a Christmas Carol, you've read a Christmas Carol. <laughs> the, only, the only thing you could really say is the ghost of Christmas is yet to come talks, but he doesn't say anything interesting. So it's better when he doesn't talk. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like after all these very literal adaptions, we need to go the other way and get, you know, like, Oh brother, we're out though. Was, the Odyssey, but you kind of have to squint to get that. We we need that version of a, a Christmas Carol where it's not necessarily on Christmas, but you kind of get the idea because there's snow on the ground. Oh, oh, a fucking a, a great example is the uh, Doctor Who Christmas Carol with Michael. Oh Gamble. yeah. You know, now that I have HBO Max, I, I should watch like the two hundred episodes of Doctor Who I haven't seen of the new series. I'm like two doctors behind. There's there are a few feelings more comforting than knowing you have a decade of Doctor Who in front of you to tear through. <laughs> I was so into Doctor Who all through college, and it was like a thing me and my now ex girlfriend did together. And now it's like, eh, 
you leave that behind. But I don't know. I loved it then. I'd probably still like it now. <laughs> also, Speaking this of Doctor Who, little... the ghost regenerating here. Well, I love this beautiful little transition, too. They just dim the lights around them and just act like they're fading into space. It's very theatrical. Like, theatrical in the sense of that's what you'd see at a stage play of uh, Christmas Carol. But it yeah, works what? so well. That's the magic of most of the Muppet movies, that feeling that, yeah, you're watching a feature film, but you're also watching an elaborate puppet show with a, that still has a certain uh, sense of stage theatricality to it. As it should. As much as I adore the Jason Siegel Muppets, that's pretty much the only thing that that movie really couldn't capture. I mean, they went in a different direction where the idea was they have to save the theater, so it's very literal-minded on theatrics. Like, <laughs> the theater's important. That's where the Muppets perform. We have to save that. But the Muppets actually performing on stage is a relatively small part of that movie, and we kind of almost got it sub-montage level where you just see a couple of different acts go on, and you never get a full sense of what the variety show they're doing is like. Which is... Too bad. Like, clearly everyone involved in that movie loved the Muppets, but I don't think they quite translated what the energy was of the original Muppet show. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also, it's it's on Disney Plus right now, so if people haven't gone back to the original Muppet show, highly recommended. It's very funny still. You probably won't recognize a majority of the guests, but every once in a while they have, like, Vincent Price pop up or something like that. And it's fun. It's really fun. It's it's surprisingly more sophisticated than you would guess for the Muppets, who I think have been made a little more gentle over the years, like a little more family-friendly. I think in the original days of the Muppets, they were more attuned to Kermit saying things like, we'll all be dead tomorrow. Nobody remembers the famous. Goodbye. <laughs> the second Muppet special was called Sex and Violence. Right. I mean, the, the Muppets, Jim Henson started by making commercials of Muppets selling coffee, where the punchline always was, if a character wasn't drinking the right coffee or didn't like it enough, the other Muppet would murder them. <laughs> the Muppets started as fairly dark material and kind of lightened up from there. And I think Disney is very happy to make them still on the lighter side of things. Yeah. Even if one of the new Muppet sh newer Muppet shows was like a behind-the-scenes peek of the Muppets living in the real world, making a variety show where they have... Adult issues and drama. It's it's still not that adult, which is fine. The Muppets don't have to be dark. The Muppets were never like super bright either. They just have to be know. for everybody. Yeah, oh, like, it shouldn't be offensive to children or like parents have to turn them away. But also, yeah. the Muppets should probably lean more towards adults will understand this and have a good time. In my mind, uh, just kind I of like just what... straight comedy, not necessarily children comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think the frustrating elephant in the room, too, is they keep trying all these different things to do with the Muppets, and it doesn't seem to occur to them to just do the fucking Muppet show again. We're in a stage now where no one wants to do what came before, right? It's always, oh, well, that happened. We have to elaborate on it. We have to yes and. It's like, eh, what? Why? Just just flat out remake. You don't necessarily yeah. have to add a new wrinkle. What worked before worked. <laughs> it's probably okay to do again. To start making the Muppet Show again. It's really sad. I want to see Billy come in and just Fozzie's jokes. Yeah, honestly, that would be amazing. Just a straight up 
you know, non-referential, non-meta version of the Muppet Show. They obviously would have those jokes within the show, but just just make the Muppets plain out variety show Muppets. Pigs in oh, space God, discovery. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! Kill the spider Muppet to to take away from this awful thing in front of this is abomination of felt. It always cracked me up in the previous little spots where it's raining out, but Michael Caine is not getting a drop of water on him. You could, as a viewer, go, oh, it's because he's a ghost, so he's not affected by the, you know, the material around him. Uh, in reality, they found out that if they got any water on the ghost of Christmas Future, uh, it basically destroyed the, the fabric around him. <laughs> just, it's like if you drop a cat in a, a, a bucket of water, you know, all of a sudden the poof is gone, you have something that doesn't look right. <laughs> so they Can just had to make how... sure... Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I just uh, basically just every time you watch the ghost, you can see there's no water that gets anywhere close to him because they realize it's going to fuck up the entire day. So it's like they have to strategically frame water around the ghost and Michael Caine. I, I like the idea of this ghost being a prima donna. <laughs> so we can agree this is like the best design for this ghost in any adaptation, right? I like this one a lot. It's supernatural. Those weird kind of human hands that are too long. Yeah. This is like a ghost Doug Jones should be playing. There's also the, the way the fabric is almost looks like it's made of stone. Just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I am a big fan of what they did in Scrooge though. Yeah. Scrooge like this, just wrapping Scrooge. the idea of television into the ghost where, you know, he pulls the sheet back and there's all the damned inside of him. It's tough to say. I mean, there, I, you can take a lot of liberties with this ghost, but it seems like everyone really just wants to do a version of the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Has anyone watched that super horror-focused uh, miniseries that was on FX like two, three years ago? Oh, I saw so many ads know. for that. No, I never yeah, watched I it. Yeah, keep forgetting to watch it. I know it's on Hulu. Last Christmas, when I was at my parents' place, it was playing, and I watched like 20 minutes of it before I fell asleep. Uh, that's the uh, uh, Guy Pierce's Scrooge in that, isn't he? Yeah. A lot of people said it was overly depressing, but I think that's what they were aiming for. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably that's not exactly a super story. <laughs> it can't be for the fact that Scrooge has to be an asshole for ninety percent of the runtime for the ending to work. <laughs> Still cranking away. Jesus Christ! Just his pupils are huge. Once this is over. <laughs> No, you're so swole. I, at the start of the show, I mentioned this in our facts, that we no longer have the original voice of Kermit voicing Kermit. And it really bothers me. I, I know uh, I should It's fucked up. Other people act like, oh, no, it's fine. Kermit's Kermit. I'm like, yeah, the fuck he is. Like, <laughs> it's like, goddammit, Steve Whitmer, I, I wish he was back in the fold. And also, apparently, not an asshole. Because, man, I miss having the original voice of Kermit. No shade on the guy voicing him now, but hearing literally anyone guy. else do Kermit, yeah, it's like it's like you're watching a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah, it's just, it's not the original. He's perfectly fine. If I heard him first, maybe that's why I'd prefer. But the fact that I had this from the time I was born until essentially now, you know, like thirty years of Kermit, and all of a sudden it's different. Oh, it's not even that close. Yeah, it's not like when they change up Sonics. This is like if Homer Simpson suddenly had a different voice. 
And it's too bad because Steve is, is a wonderful performer as Kermit. In any of his shows, like the range he can give as Kermit, from the wild manic, welcome to the Muppet Show, energy to the very deadpan deliveries of things. To even hear this kind of subdued emotion of his son is dead, but he still has a family he has to live for. <laughs> a very dark thing for a Muppet Show. Uh, it's amazing how many... Played Kermit. <laughs> what was that, Mike? I'm, I'm very happy with everyone who's played Kermit. Get out. And everyone who's played Bugs Bunny. I agree. Totally agree on Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, they got pretty close to match, I would say. I had someone complain that Bugs Bunny's not the same original voice. Like, Mel Blanc's been (laughs) dead for a really long time. I was going to say, it's going to be, I've hugged his grave. It's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to get Mel Blanc to come back and fix that. Before I die, just have me say every word and syllable in the dictionary and then just type it together like Chef on that one episode of South Park. <laughs> they can do that now. I'm still fucked up over Mark Hamill not actually being the voice of Luke in The Mandalorian. Really? That was a deep I, I fake didn't computer. know that. I knew they, like, I knew they deep faked him as a younger guy. I didn't know they actually... <laughs> wow. Yeah, that voice was, too. yeah, watch that behind-the-scenes thing they put up for the... Uh, finale last year that that blew my fucking mind they actually go into a whole thing over the befuddling ethics of that technology too it was actually kind of cool they went into that but yeah the reveal that no they use essentially lines from empire and return of the jedi to build Hamill's voice which seems unnecessary he is a voice actor (laughs) right and he sounds like himself couple things i want to mention here one the smoke this is old school like 90s hollywood smoke which uh over the years hollywood has stopped using such dense fog for their movies because most of the stuff they use in the past turned out probably to give you cancer (laughs) it's a shame because you're never gonna get fog like in the wolfman where it's so thick like it's just the perfect atmosphere also probably would kill you if you breathe it sometimes you have to die for for the art that's yeah i mean they didn't know any better so i guess they're unfortunately dying without giving consent for the art two it's so hard to corral fog because anytime you put a bunch out if you want to redo the shot and reset you have to wait like 30 minutes to air out the set going back to the introduction of the ghost of christmas feature michael kane was told okay we'll give you a cue to turn around and that's there's gonna be a fog bank we want you to run the fog came in way faster than they expected so the game is cue he turned the fog was already on him and he just fucking ah, runs that's what you see in the movie if you go back to that scene he was not expecting the fog to be that close to him so he had to fucking book it as fast as he could to get away from that fog (laughs) which i absolutely love uh there's there's also one shot this is a ways back now where he's going up to the grave he kind of turns the ghost and the fog pulls back i'm not entirely sure if the fog was being blown in a way it just looks unnatural or if they actually ran that in reverse i'd be really curious to find an answer to that Mm. Because it, it looks like the fog, if you put it in the opposite direction of what it's shown, it would be moving naturally, just kind of flowing forward. But in my mind, that one shot looks like it's being sucked back in. So I wonder if they had a shot where Michael Caine just kind of turned to look towards the grave and they flipped it in the movie and then did a little ADR over top to give his lines, to give it an unnatural kind of look of the fog rolling against gravity. I don't know. I might be totally wrong. That is a common thing to do for fog. If you ever watch like Evil Dead 2 or Evil Dead 1, most of the time the fog is being shot in reverse just to give it a different look. I love film reversed fog so much. Oh, yeah. 
So much. It crawls in such an interesting way. As, uh, before Ooh, we no, get no, no, more dead Muppets. Before we get too far away from it, I, I just want to take it a moment to acknowledge one of my favorite moments in literary canon, where at the end of an entire night of being told supernatural moral lessons concerning his own mortality, Ebenezer Scrooge is like, man, this dead guy they're roasting sounds like a real asshole. Sucks to be him. <laughs> I mean, on, on the uh, commentary with Brian Henson, he kind of explains it as Scrooge in the back of his mind knows what the deal is, but he's doing anything he can to avoid having to actually acknowledge the reality of it. Which never plays to me in all the adaptions where Scrooge has to go to the grave like three times like, who could it be? Spirit, just tell me who it could be. It's like, yeah, shut up. We know it's you. Just get on with it. It's one of those things where, like, the dramatic theatrical part of it doesn't work for me. It's one of those, like, come on, the audience is five steps ahead. Let's just go with it. It's it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things that never quite works. It, it is layered nicely into Kane's performance and the writing yeah. a little bit, like in other sections. There, there is even um, with past Scrooge, like he knows he's not being right but he's doing it anyway so you kind of can see Sorry. that he's deluding himself a lot i want to i want to interrupt isn't this a little weird that even though all the ghostly stuff has passed and scrooge is a good guy they're they're using like a dutch angle on the the uh, muppets in the previous shot or there's a lot of these too where it's not dead on the camera is kind of tilted <laughs> like the buildings are all either too askew or the camera is not quite right and i don't that's maybe that's just so they can properly just... frame everybody I Maybe. think there's a little bit, there's a lot of that too. Because um, typically you move the camera you the like that right to him. throw people off and make them unsettled. This is like, everything's great! And the camera is still like in fucked up Silent Hill territory. There's well, also everyone's a little wearing bit long just, coats and top hats. There's also a lot of uh, just classic film framing with this one versus a lot of other Muppet films. So you see a lot of Deutsch angles for conversations and whatnot. Well, it makes perfect sense for the rest of the movie because things aren't right. The character of Scrooge is wildly out of balance and that's destroying the world around him. In this section, I mean, it's the next day. The whole world is bright and cheerful. Everyone is smiling. Michael Caine is suddenly dancing and moving his arms around. <laughs> like, everything has changed. The world is in balance at this point and, <laughs> and my expectation would be the camera would level out because things are balanced. And then we still get those weird-ass shots. Like, I get it's probably a technical thing. But it's always made me kind of feel weird. Like, did he die in the night? And this is some sort of weird thing. <laughs> no, but they're, they're establishing that Bunsen and uh, that uh, Beaker and Honeydew are agents of Satan. <laughs> they're um, they're the Deutsch angles now. If you look at them, are much more uh, whimsical in nature with the coloring and the lighting, and even just the specific tilt of them and their distance away from everything versus. Look at the Deutsch angles of earlier, and they're very tonally dark and foreboding in in how they're treated, and they're much more they're actually much more extreme. Every Here time I almost try to explain uh, something, I have to yell at him to shut up so I can be like, "I have an aside." So what we're watching right now, apparently, this was a contentious issue during test screenings because Scrooge was giving coal to his rats. And the children watching the movie, when they asked what they thought about it, they said, why Why were the rats being punished? Why did they get coal for Christmas? Not making the connection that Scrooge was giving them coal because it was too cold in the office and they needed coal to burn. 
And Brian Hansen was like, we already filmed it. There's nothing we could do about it. It's just, that's how it is. But I love the idea that children are watching this and the, the disconnect between generations is so great. They're like, what? The rats were nice. Why are they fucking getting cold? This is bullshit. Why is Mr. Scrooge becoming God? Why is he meeting out <laughs> rewards and punishment as he sees fit? Like I was nephew here, he's just like, I don't fucking know what this is and I hate it. I'm the nice Scrooge. Fuzzywig, you're alive! Oh god, he's so old. Like, uh, when they're trying to decide, uh, assign a Muppet to a character, they're like, there's one already called, like, Fuzzywig? We have a Fuzzy Bear. Okay, done. But you don't even have to think at that point. You just slap those Muppets onto those characters and they share essentially the same name. God, I bet those Muppets smelled. Thanks, Cody. I hadn't picked <laughs> up on that. <laughs> Michael Caine's joy getting to sing. Also, we'd be remiss if we did not mention my favorite Michael Caine quote ever. Talking about Jaws The Revenge, where he's like, by all accounts, it's a terrible film. But I, I have not seen it. But I have seen The House It Bought, and it is fantastic. Which is really a great attitude to have. People are giving you a lot of money. You don't necessarily have to care about the product, right? Hey, an actor works. <laughs> you know... It seems cruel to be playing this joke on Bob Cratchit for no fucking reason. <laughs> it really does. I, although I do enjoy that this version of Scrooge isn't just a straight-up nice guy with no personality. Like, he can still tap into, like, his asshole self and use it for yucks. Also, it really would have been great for Mrs. Piggy to just fucking wail on this dude. Just, like, one good punch. Hiya! Let her use that rage. Hiya! Exactly. Pig-foo. Is this a failing in my moral character where I don't like Miss Piggy? I've, uh, I mean, I enjoy her. She's, she's funny, but I'm not, um, you know, not going to say I'm a big fan. I mean, she's I an anti-hero. She's written to be on, uh, in some ways unlikable. I mean, I understand you have to have characters that drive drama. And that's definitely her goal. Like everyone else would be pretty at ease if it wasn't for Miss Piggy causing issues. If you look at almost any Muppets media, she's normally at the center of the conflict. But boy, something about that character has just never rubbed me right. Not a, not a Miss Piggy fan. Killer. That's always more of a Gonzo booster. <laughs> Gonzo, Camilla forever. The one true pair. That is yeah, fake turkey. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> they're they're fake <laughs> where the fuck Bunsen and Burner are they're fake frogs <laughs> they're fake pigs I think we've already established uh, Bunsen is Professor Hulk <laughs> also this bothers me they didn't really say that there was this huge time jump so it just looks like they're eating this feast at 7 o'clock in the morning <laughs> right <laughs> Well, it doesn't make sense because they bring in a raw goose, right? Like, 
I don't know. A goose that big would take many an hour in the oven. Well, especially it's when like a you're show, they have just a tired a child one. turning a fucking spoke for hours and days on end. Right. Yeah, that one kid's going to be so swole. Uh, and besides that, as long as we're besidesing the movie, we get to this point, and Scrooge has turned a new leaf, right? He's a good man who cares about people, and he goes to Cratchit's house, and he's going to be like, hey, man, I'm going to pay off your mortgage, a thing children didn't understand. <laughs> but then he invites half the town to fucking Bob Cratchit's house. What? Scrooge, you own a building. You own your own <laughs> home. Have well, people come over to, to your place. Well, see, the thing is, he wants to he wants to pay off everybody's mortgage, but he's smart, so he's just going to have them all live in that one house. <laughs> and he like buys the, the rest, rest of the, the town. <laughs> God, this is like mother. Oop, just exploring. <laughs> I mean, Scrooge hasn't totally told the to hasn't totally turned the page. Is what I'm saying, like that's a dick move to say. Uh, let's have the party at your place. No, it's Christmas. I have my family here. We're going to have some time together. It's going to gonna be cool. Thanks, boss. Maybe, oh, the whole town is coming. Cool. You brought a turkey. I don't have fixins for like 13 other people. See, I've so always assumed that after the story, uh, Scrooge just became megalomaniacal in the opposite direction again. Like, nice guy, <laughs> Mr. Burns. Oh, he's, yeah, he mm. just killed the sea. Um, so is the implication <laughs> that this was the past of the Muppets and uh, their family grew up to be the actual Muppets? That <laughs> they used the Scrooge fortune to build the theater? Yeah. Is that what we're supposed to get uh, out of this, or is this just No, no, story? Mike. They did not use the Scrooge fortune to build the theater. If you remember, in, this, is a, this is a very clear point in the original Muppet movie yeah. and the Muppets, Jason Segal, there, there was a contract they signed to get that studio. Remember? They, that they was had to go Jamie's against... comment, not mine. Don't rope me into <laughs> okay. that. Okay. All right. All right. I just you agreed. That maybe their descendants would, were the actual Muppets. Their descendants didn't own shit. If there was a Scrooge fortune, it did not last the present Scrooge day. Scrooge didn't give them any goddamn money. He just paid off their mortgage and gave them a raise. <laughs> and they didn't they save just a gave them the ability to the work for him more comfortably. They didn't, earn, was they didn't hold on to his tangled bob. Year. <laughs> How was he going to give everybody this money like in a year? Hold on. Actually, that does make a certain amount of sense because the ghosts are trying to save him, right? Like, they, they wouldn't necessarily do this 40 years before he died, right? Scrooge's got to be closing in on the grave. I mean, the vision of the future is like two Christmases later. And it's not like being nice cured his cancer. That's a solid point. What? Yeah. They also mentioned, the Marleys mentioned, like, as they live, they forged their chains. Was Scrooge going through those chains like crazy every day and freeing himself from like nine chains? Or is he just getting like a slightly better hell when he dies? <laughs> a slightly better hell. I, I think it's a, a last minute turnaround. It's very, Christmas Carol does have like a legitimately very dark ending if you think about it. Like, because he's still <laughs> going to die. It's just making the best well, we of the will. time he has left. Well, we all. Well, no, I won't make the best of the time I have available to me, but I'm going to squander it. But, you know, that's theoretically what people are supposed to do. Yeah, but he has, like, a year left. 
So he's like aggressively making the best of it. Scrooge is surprisingly chipper about that fact. He has to know that too, right? Like there's probably a date chipped into that tombstone. <laughs> and he comes out and he's just like, let's buy a goose and have a party. Instead of dwelling on the fact that he's like, oh God, every minute I waste is a minute closer to the tomb. Well, he's going to have PTSD from having to deal with these fucking ghosts that haunted him. So yeah, he'd probably enjoy not having to deal with that for very long. We're going to have to make a Twitter poll when this comes out and just find... We're going to have to read the room. Do people think Scrooge died and immediately went to hell, but like a lesser hell than he would have? No, he, he... I'm sure he went face down into the fucking mashed potatoes at the end of that meal. He was good long <laughs> enough to buy dinner for everybody. That was his only was, good deed. What does that get you? How many how many changes does that free you from? If you're Marley, like... What do you get out of he got that? Uh, the world uh, may uh, never know. Well, folks, that was the Muppet Christmas Carol. I hope everyone is having a fantastic December, even if you're not celebrating Christmas, uh, if you're, you know, just not a religion, if you're Jewish, if you're celebrating whatever, I don't give a shit. It's just, hey, the Muppets, you got to love them. If you're a nihilist, I hope you're having a, just a wonderful day. Yeah. Well, a bad day? Is that what? No. I don't understand what An nihilists okay actually day. want. Nihilists Middle just of the road day. day. I, the only things I know about Nihilists come from the Big Lebowski, so I really don't know anything about them. Those are the kind. Those are the best kind of Nihilists. <laughs> Just taking toes and beating people up in bowling alleys? Yeah. Hail Satan. Hail Satan is what we're trying to get out here. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a couple of shout-outs. We should, we should share the love here. Uh, one, I got to talk to Mike Vanderbilt very recently. Uh, his podcasts are fantastic. Go check out Halloweenies. People definitely know him before they know us but he's such a nice guy really amazing to meet him in person uh we also got a shout out on uh the monster movie happy hour on one of their last episodes uh that was super nice of them i didn't pay them i swear to god their show is like ours but probably better you if you want good drinks you should listen to their episodes uh oh yeah they're you can a lot find of them all over the place oh they're fantastic really lovely people there my debt is paid no, actually, I recommend them anyways. They're they're really really great. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. If you would like to find more of our stuff, though, because we are greedy, we want you to listen to us first. Forget everyone else. If you want to listen to more of our stuff, you can find us on Stitch, Twitter at Box Stitch. Stitch. We we have hats or something at this point, don't we? No. Am I making stuff up? I don't know. You, you can find us around. We're uh, on. Oh, God. Is it Google Music? Amazon My, Music. We are also on Google Podcasts, yes. Google Podcasts. I sound like an old person when I try and recommend this show. I'm like, oh, have you ever heard of the Game Box? I remember my first time playing Mario. We, we are Is on Amazon. Music Mac Jukebox? <laughs> we are I on Amazon. the last FM. We are on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, just search for us. You will find us. And, of course, all applicable links are usually uh, in the show post on boxofficepulp.com. And of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I keep hoping if I do a bad enough job wrapping up the episode, someone will put me out of my misery and just do it for me. Like how I used to fold clothes as a child. And it hasn't <laughs> happened. They keep putting me out here to end shows and it always goes bad. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Merry whatever and a happy whatever. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie.
please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. We didn't do nearly enough uh, Kermit the Frog impressions during this episode. I, and I, I, I would say it's because Kermit is not the lead character. But it also is one of those things where I feel like every guy in the world secretly has a Kermit the Frog impression they've worked on, but they don't want to tell people. Uh, Cody, can you sing um, the Marley song, but it's uh, it's Cody and Cody? We're Cody and Cody. I don't know. The hard C's don't work as well as Marley and Marley. It's equally as funny, though. Okay, hold on. Let me look at the lyrics. Just chained to beer. (laughs) We're drunker and drunker. (laughs) (laughs) This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.